Hey y'all, this is Mallory Irvin and it's time for all of us to live fully. It's so important in this crazy world of ours that we stay connected, inspired, and motivated to be and do our best. And that's not always easy. I'm here with my guests and friends to share the stories and lessons we've learned to help you live your best life every day and truly begin living fully. Let's make it happen and get started with today's episode. Hello and welcome back to Living Fully. I am super excited today to have a very special guest on my show. I have Olympic gold medalist, Dancing with the Star champion. I just asked her her stats because you know what I know her as is friend of eight years or six years, (laughs) however long it's been. It's been a while. John Johnson. So I'm super excited to have that on the show today. And if there is anyone who can talk about expectations, the weight of an entire country weighing on your shoulders at a very young age, transitioning out of something after you achieve a really big goal, and all things such as that, it is Sean. And we are both sitting here in our third trimester of pregnancy. So, Sean, <laughs> yes. this is her first baby that she's about to Babies. have. <laughs> and me, my second. So, a lot of these things that we're going to talk about today can also translate into motherhood and, you know, the children that we want to raise and kind of, I feel like the best advice is going to come from Sean today on no raising a child in this <laughs> no. world of expectation. This is a lot of expectation. I feel like I tell a lot of like moms things about raising kids, but now I'm like freaked out that I'm going to raise a demonic child. That's how it goes. Yeah. That's how it goes. So I'm super excited about today's content. So the first thing that I want to talk about with Sean. Well, actually, no, I'm going to give you a little backstory on Sean and I. So Sean was a bridesmaid in my wedding. I was a bridesmaid in Sean's wedding. We have been friends for, we've no, I met you about 10 years ago on the stage of Miss America. <laughs> Sean yes. was my judge in the Miss America pageant. And uh, I saw Miss Kentucky literally skip across the stage. <laughs> And I was like, who is that? That was me. I did like to skip back in the day. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was like two years later, you ra- we ran into each other at Michael's and she thought I mm-hmm. worked there. Mm-hmm. She was like, excuse me, miss. <laughs> where where I can find tassels? <laughs> and I turned around. And I was like, Miss K- I didn't even know your name. I was like, Miss Kentucky? Kentucky? I was like, well, you were wearing I? a Miss America hat. I, and I never, ever, ever <laughs> wore that hat. It was just bizarre. It was totally meant to be one of those like yeah. totally meant to be moments because then As you guys know, whenever I went through the like really trying times of my life, literally like coming out from the other end of that, like I really needed good friends in my life. And that was about five or six years ago. And that was when Sean and I like really became really close and have been ever since. And that was a long time ago. So yeah, we spent a lot of time together and and in the early days of Malshawn, that's what we used to call ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the duo. <laughs> I used to travel with Sean a lot. So she was doing press and she was doing, you know, speeches at different organizations and colleges and stuff like that. And I got to witness a lot of these speeches that she gave. So a lot of the questions that I'm going to ask today, like, were the parts that me as a person in the audience, even though I was her friend, watching this speech that she would give, I was like, that is a really amazing story and an amazing point. And 
one of my favorite things that used to, to that used to talk about in those speeches were was like at the very end of the Olympics. So she did the Beijing Olympics in 2008, right? Yep. Beijing Olympics 2008. So you were expected to win gold in the all around. It's the last event. And tell me just a little bit about that time and how you never looked up at the scoreboard and all that stuff. Yes. So, okay, how do I condense this down? So I competed for 13 years before the Olympics. I started when I was three years old. I was competing at the Olympics when I was 16. I was taught my entire career never to look at the scores because it's not about the scores. It's about your effort. And so I had like followed that rule my entire career. Never once looked at my score. But for some reason, during the Olympics, on my last event, why I want to change up my routine, I have no idea. I just had this, like, undying urge to look at the score. And I looked at the score, and I was a math nerd, and I, like, quickly added up everyone's scores. Nastia Lukin scored, you know, Russia, Chinese, like, everyone. And quickly figured out that as I'm standing, getting ready to do my last performance, there was no way for me to win the gold medal. And I, I didn't know why. I didn't know what had happened. I had had a really good competition. Nothing was like out of the ordinary. But in that moment, I knew that like Bob Costas on NBC was telling the entire world that I couldn't win gold. And it was this really weird feeling as a 16-year-old because I feel like everyone would feel this. But at that moment, I had the thought like, do I even go out? If the entire world is expecting you to come home with gold, which they had told me this before I even left. They're like, we're we need you to bring home the gold medal. We need that from you. Thank yeah, you. no big deal. Um, <laughs> do I even like attempt it? Do I throw it? Do I walk off? Like, what do I do? And this is all happening within like a minute's time because I only have a minute to start my routine. But I remember looking at my coach who was like across the floor and I knew he knew what I had already figured out as well as I did. And he seemed so calm and he gave me this nod of just like reassurance and just like nothing was like nothing had changed. And I remember thinking in that moment, even if you can't win the gold medal, at least go out and show the world that you deserved it. Mm -hmm. And so that's great advice. I literally remember going out and if you've ever done an Olympic floor routine before, (laughs) like um, most of my listeners have, um, you know that it's literally like sprinting directly uphill for 90 seconds, like 90 seconds straight, as hard as you possibly can, as fast as you possibly can. It's the hardest thing in the world. But I went through that routine, literally, like you said, feeling like a bird. I felt weightless. I felt like I could do it a million times. It felt like the easiest thing I'd ever done. I stuck every landing, hit every pose. And afterwards, like looking back, I think it's because it was the first time in my life I did something not out of the expectation of the world, but truly just for myself. Like I knew I wasn't going to win a gold medal. I knew people were already being told that I had failed or come up short. And so there was no one else to perform for except for myself. And it was the greatest feeling I've ever felt in my entire life. What a lesson. And like what a total testament to how literally pressure and expectation can affect like your physical ability to do something. I mean, and like you're, uh, the Olympics are a little bit different than the trials and tribulations that we have in life <laughs> that we are holding expectations about, but still. Not I really. Mean, not really. No. I, it's, I think it's the same. I feel like what I, I talk to a lot of college kids and 
all the speeches that you would go to were at colleges. But I feel like there's so, like we live in a world and in a society where people put so much expectation and pressure on you to succeed. Like you see, you see moms, that's going to be mm-hmm. us, taking their three-year-olds into a gymnastics class and they're like, this is going to be the next Olympian. Like what do I need to do to raise an Olympian? And it's like, it doesn't work that way. And you see people being pressured in college to become orthopedic surgeons or doctors or the highest level degree that they can. Or you see people being pressured to be president of their company or CEO. People people are not content with just someone being happy. They want to see you succeed. With such expectation comes so much pressure. I feel like we lose so easily the reason why we're doing things. Yeah. And we do it to like please other people instead of just doing it for ourselves. Yeah. So did you ever feel like like in your journey that you were doing it to please other people? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All the time. Because <laughs> you were like signed up and like yeah. Coca-Cola and I was, McDonald's kind of had you like signed up and stuff, right? Yeah. So you couldn't really back down. <laughs> yeah. I was really, really lucky in my gymnastics career. I had parents who kind of taught me all of this. And they were the ones who said like, we don't care if you quit. We don't care if it's the day before the Olympics and you want to go be a soccer player or a mathematician. Like, we don't care. We love you and we want you to do what you love, which I'm so lucky I had parents like that. And I want to be that type of parent. But along the way, you start building pressures from the world and the expectations from the world and you start signing on endorsements. And you can relate that to everyday life with, you know, you have people expecting you to show up to work and to meet your deadlines. And you're a parent that has your child expecting you to like follow through for them. And it's, you just, you build this community around you that's expecting you to do something, even if it's not really your passion. And so for sure, I, I was standing at the Olympics thinking about, I need to be on the Wheaties box. Um, (laughs) I need to please Coca-Cola and Nike and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all these people and standing on that floor, getting right to that last kind of routine where I thought I had disappointed all of them already. I was like, well, there's nothing left than to, I don't know, like make myself proud. Yeah. And like, shouldn't we all just do that from the beginning? But no, <laughs> it, t- it really takes a lot <laughs> yeah. of life experience. I mean, I feel like in my 30s, I'm just now figuring that out. And and it's so good that like you've had the, you're such a, Sean is such like just knowing her on a personal level, besides the level that a lot of people know her on, you're, so, you're definitely like an old soul and you're very wise for a young person. And I think that even though like Sean was so much younger than me, she became like my best friend because I felt like her life experience was, were already the same as mine, even though she was younger than me, because you literally like, I mean, you started doing this in high school. You gave up so much of your youth to dedicate to this and you became financially responsible for yourself, you know, independent, like living by yourself, traveling with people. I mean, you really started living a life that most people don't start living until like now (laughs) as a young child. Yes. And I adore Terry and Doug. Her parents (laughs) are the most amazing salt of the earth people. And it just doesn't surprise me at all when you tell those stories about them that they were just like, we don't care if you quit because they just exude that and they're they're going to be the most amazing grandparents. I, I know that 100%. So if you don't figure it all out, they, they got it. Don't <laughs> yes. worry. Yes. <laughs> you know, kind of transitioning out of that because, I mean, the Olympics, what other goal is that large? 
I would say besides like being the president of the United States, don't nobody want to be the president anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, that is an ultimate of an ultimate goal. And something else that I wanted to talk about today, because I've, I've definitely experienced this in my own life. And I know a lot of people do. What the heck happens after you achieve that goal, especially (laughs) if it's something that big? A, when you're standing there on the podium or whatever that goal is, are you like, this is, so this is it. Okay. (laughs) So, okay. I think it's pretty cool. Like, it's okay. I mean, did you feel like it was all it was cracked up to be? Did you feel like you felt like you would feel? And then what do you do after you achieve that? Yeah. So, A... No, it's not. It's all cracked up to me. Mm-hmm. And it's usually I, not. It really isn't. Which, like, I feel like I'm probably going to get hate because I stood on an Olympic oh, no, no, know, no. gold They're medal podium. And, Don't worry. Okay, my good. listeners are not haters. Um, <laughs> but standing on an Olympic gold medal podium, I trained my entire life for that moment. I mean, granted, I was only 16. <laughs> so it was only 16 years. But to me, that was the epitome of success. And that was you know, hiking Everest and getting to the top and being like, there's nothing cooler. Mm -hmm. And I remember standing on the podium and getting the medal and feeling so proud and so excited, but literally thinking like, well, is that it? (laughs) (laughs) Like, did I work my whole life and dedicate all of this just for this? Uh And which is amazing, but it's that transition where you're are you're already standing there and you're like, well, huh, <laughs> what do I do now? And the transition was the hardest part. So honestly, the day after, I pretty much laid in the middle of the floor of my hotel room and I was, you know, counting sheep and just like, oh, I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> but it's interesting because I feel like a lot of times we put so much weight into one thing and we make it feel like it's going to make everything in life better. Yeah. And we expect like as soon as we reach that moment, as soon as we make that much money, as soon as we buy that type of house, marry that person, we're going to be happy and life is going to be fulfilled. And it's not. It truly isn't. Yeah. And it's it's so true. The transition was like we were talking about this earlier. The transition was really hard too because in gymnastics, you like it's – ingrained in you that you're striving for perfection. Like the scoring system is even like the perfect 10. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a perfect 10 and it's a a perfectionism mentality based off of a subjective sport. Mm -hmm. So it's how a judge thinks you look and it's how they like your smile and your hair and your leotard and your performance. And they can deduct or criticize you based off of that. Based off of looks. Literally based off of looks. Yeah, I didn't really realize that that was part of gymnastics. It's part of everything in life, I feel like, unfortunately. But that's really interesting. Yeah, It's part of every life. Yeah. Everyday life. Everyday life. life. <laughs> um, but I spent so much, like, so much time of my life, so many years of my life, trying to analyze what can I do to make a judge happy? And what do I need to wear? How do I need to do my makeup? How do I need to perform? And transitioning out of that perfectionism going into everyday life when you're just walking down the street and you look like a scrub, I I felt so much pressure to still be perfect. And that took kind of like when I met you, it took a, it took a long time for me to learn how to not be perfect. Like yeah. you coming off of Miss America stage, people just expect that perfection from you for the rest of your life. Yeah. And learning to be okay 
with average and normal and mediocre took so many years and therapists and help and community to learn that just being okay with not being perfect is is okay. <laughs> it's really hard. And I think that that too, that's why Sean and I became such like close friends at that point in time, because we both were like coming off of that. Mine, of course, I had not trained for Miss America for 16 years. It, it was not, not anything, you know, the same, but both of us had this huge goal. Both of us, it's over. And then what do you do next? And I remember like I had already been through this this tumultuous turn my life on its head. And here I am as a raw person in the world trying to just exist as myself without these titles and this look and these hair extensions and all this <laughs> yeah. that stuff uh-huh. I used to have all over me. And Sean was kind of in a similar place too. And then like we're figuring out dating, like we were both newly dating our husbands that we're with now at that point in time and just figuring out like your self-worth in relationships and how to just navigate the waters. I remember like, you know, I can remember like when Sean and I first became friends and, you know, everyone knows Sean for Sean and she would get just recognized everywhere we would go. And she was always so gracious and so kind whenever she would meet people. But I remember thinking to myself like, man, that, that must feel so odd to feel like, I mean, you can't have like an off day. You can't be arguing with your boyfriend in the grocery store line because Somebody could be filming you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Or like somebody's listening and then they're going to tell somebody. Maybe it's not the tabloids these days, but like you always are being watched and always being criticized. And at such a young age, that just must have been really hard. But I think that that we really like bonded over that. And I can remember like, you know, we used to exercise together a lot and we used to (laughs) do our eating plans. And we were literally together 24-7 every single day. And... It was just it this fitness health. I gotta I gotta compete for this. What is my next goal? It was so ingrained in you, and it was so not ingrained in me. <laughs> <laughs> but it was to a certain extent because of the Miss America stage. You still had this like subconscious kind of person telling you, "Oh, you need to look a certain way when you go outside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You need to keep your physique looking a certain way. Oh, I can't eat that. I can't yep. eat this." Like, it's it's no different. And for me, with just all of the perfectionism and stuff, I remember going into the relationships thinking, like, how do I be a perfect girlfriend, let alone a perfect wife or a perfect mom? And talking about, like, always having to be on, I think that's why my husband's so good for me. Because <laughs> he's just... He would he would witness like the personality shift if someone ever came over and asked for a picture and he's like why do you why do you act like that and I'm like because if I'm not anything but perfect for them I become this image of imperfection and it kind of taints what it was they saw in 2008 and he's like well you can't live like that and so <laughs> yeah. he like purposely would push me to you know get outside of that perfectionism mentality and show the world, no, I'm actually a real human being that has off days. And sorry, I'm not very nice at the moment, but I'm grouchy and I'm hangry. And yeah. And don't people like, you know, I feel like we do live in a culture right now where everybody really does like the real stuff and everybody really does like the vulnerable stuff. 
And I appreciate that and like welcome that in the content that I create. You guys too, in the content you create, you've been so like raw and open about everything, you know, in the media with having a miscarriage and with having, you know, these negative tests whenever you're having this baby that now are fine. All of that stuff, like you've shared your public life with people and Lord knows you ain't gonna make everybody happy. So you know you're putting it out there, something that's really personal and hurtful for you, especially perfectionists, to have like quote unquote feel like like some something's wrong. Something's wrong with my body. Why did this happen? And then, you know, how do you deal with when you put something like that like that out there, like you're saying, Okay, I was a perfectionist, I'm not a perfectionist, let me be vulnerable, and then people rip you apart. Tear you <laughs> apart. In the media uh, yeah. that don't even know you. You know, I feel like you probably have some advice because so many people deal with just everyday haters. <laughs> we do, of course, in this space. I, I feel like I've been pretty lucky. I don't have too many people, I feel like, that have this backlash. But I do get that sometimes. And I know you guys do, too. Like, But people at their work, somebody just doesn't like them. And is just talking about them at the dang water cooler. And you're like, why don't you like me? You don't even know me. Or someone's talking about your child, like at a school, or one of your friends just like keeps bashing you to the other friends. Like, how do you deal with that? Do you just ignore it? Do you just have a therapist on call all the time? <laughs> do you just? I think, I think first you have to understand it. You have to understand that. I think for both of us, given our experiences in life, given our emotional roller coasters, our ups and downs, the lows that we hit. Like I, we've talked about this before, but I went into like depression after the Olympics because I didn't know, I didn't know how not to be perfect and how to like maintain this image. And because I've gone through that, I've gone through some probably uglier times in my life where I probably wasn't nice to people and I, I would lash out and I would judge. And anymore, you first have to ask yourself, what was your intention with whatever it is that the haters are latching onto? So if you have a good intention, if you didn't mean to like offend anyone, if you didn't mean to cause these haters, you have to know that in your heart and you have to hang on to that. And then two, you have to ask yourself and almost not have pity, but just understanding for that person must be hurting in some way. Because I try to believe that there's good in everyone, (laughs) even though there's a lot of very, a lot of evil out there. But when haters come at you, you got to kill them with kindness. As I mean, it's I what, it's what we're taught in kindergarten. Yeah. If whatever it is. So I was taught this for, wow, I'm rambling. Um, no, pregnancy you're brain. not. <laughs> um, Perfectionism. Um, <laughs> I was taught by some YouTubers, actually, who get a lot of hate, but a lot of comment, like good comments as well. I said, what do you do with the hate? Do you like delete it? Do you block it? Do you answer it? Do you? you know, defend yourself, whatever. And they said, absolutely not. They said, whatever it is you respond to is what you'll get more of. And so many people in this world are looking for attention in some way, shape, or form. And that means the haters. And if you respond to haters, you're going to get more hate because they know that's how I get your attention. Yeah. So it's just, it's a balance. Yeah, that's that's really such great advice. And, and it's so funny, like some of the lessons that we learn as children, like literally in kindergarten, are the lessons that still apply. We forget today. them a lot. We <laughs> forget them a lot. Yes. So yeah, I really love that and advice, you know, and that really can, it can apply to anyone in any situation where you feel like someone's coming at you that just doesn't even know the situation. 
and it's something that we all all deal with. So it's part of life. <laughs> what? Okay, so something that is not part of life and everyday life for most people, the Olympics. Let me ask you this question because people always love like the inside scoop to things. What is something that the average listener does not, or even anyone just off the streets, what's something we don't know about the Olympics? I don't want to get too crazy. Oh, craziness. Okay. You know all the crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know all the crazy stuff. Um, I'm not going to tell you all that. <laughs> that'll be for a different podcast. Yeah. All the craziness. <laughs> um, I would say, I don't know. I would say some of the things that the general public doesn't really see is just the lifestyle of the Olympians. I would say as an Olympian at the Olympic Games, you would expect that their only goal is to show up to the Olympics and compete, and mm-hmm. that be it. Yeah. Whereas there's so many other aspects at play. With most competitions and sports, you actually have like a preliminary competition that you guys will never see on TV, you'll never even hear about. But it's almost like a qualifier at the Olympic Games. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know that. And you have to get through this qualifier at the Olympic Games to even make it to those like NBC medal rounds that you see on TV. Yeah. And on top of that, you're dealing with sponsors. You're dealing with your obligations to the United States Olympic Committee, which is like to go to the USA House and to make appearances. You're dealing with the media. I think one of the craziest things, I wish I like had footage to show you guys, but is right after you're done competing every competition, you get kind of corralled into this media zone. And it's like a mile long of just the world's media. And you're just like taking a step every five minutes, doing an interview, doing press conferences, doing all this stuff and hearing people's opinions in the middle of your competition. It's not like something you have to deal with afterwards. It's like in the middle of it. And there's just so many outside pressures that are allowed to get to the Olympians and kind of contact them and almost like demand things from them while they're competing. That makes it harder. That's wild. But it probably prepares you for like everyday life because nothing's ever perfect and easy and people don't leave you alone when you're trying to compete for a goal or do something. You know, even like a mom off the street that's trying to run a half marathon, your kids aren't going to be like, oh, mom, it's your training (laughs) day. Yeah, no. Let us give you a break today. It's like all those challenges you have to deal with. And that's that's interesting. I like that inside scoop. Yeah, we won't give you the down and dirty real inside scoop of some parts of it. You got to compete in the Olympics to know. Okay. And, you know, another thing that I really loved that you used to talk about because it's something that I do and talk about a lot when talking about like, you know, achieving a goal or manifesting something. You used to talk about like visualizing things and how you would literally in your mind sit there, close your eyes and picture yourself doing that perfect floor routine. And I think visualization and like any sort of visual aid to your goal is so powerful and something that so many people don't use. They picture themselves as like overweight people just running through the day. I'm scatterbrained. I'm procrastinating. I'm, they, they, pick, they visualize all these bad things about themselves. They never visualize themselves as an image of success. So talk a little bit about that because I think it's a powerful tool that people can really use in their everyday life. So I could talk about this for hours. I love visualization. Well, we can make this um, multiple podcasts. So... <laughs> I believe that anything, 
becoming an Olympic gold medalist in any sport, becoming the CEO of Google, inventing the world's craziest product that makes you a billionaire, is 99% mental. The human body is made to work. And you can train the human body to do anything. And for all of you guys who are like, I could never be an Yes, you could. Like your body is, is literally built physiologically to like train and learn and to adapt. Now your mind is also made for that, but it's under your control. Mm-hmm. And there's been studies done that have been proven where literally if you picture yourself doing something, your muscles are working. They're training. It's like on a a lot smaller scale. And so with gymnastics, the big kind of story behind my Olympic career was that I trained 25% of the hours that any other Olympian on the platform was training. But I also trained probably 100% more (laughs) mentally than any other athlete. My coach would give me these kind of homework assignments after every practice. He'd say, I want you to go home, lay in bed, And picture yourself doing 10 perfect beam routines in a row. But the second you picture yourself doing something wrong, you have to start over. And you guys, for like a homework assignment, I challenge you to picture yourself doing something in your everyday life flawlessly. Picture your body, picture your mind, picture your outfit, picture you executing something flawlessly. And it's actually really, really difficult because we naturally want to see faults and flaws in ourselves. But the most powerful thing that I was ever taught that I also teach kids now is literally, and this is not cliche, it's the truth, whatever you picture, whatever you believe will come true. So whether you believe you can or you cannot, you will always be right. Wow. It's yeah. muscle memory. And so whatever you, whatever you think becomes ingrained in your muscles and your muscles yeah. do what's natural. I believe it, but you know, hearing it from you, because when I describe you to people, I, I, you're like a freak of nature with the physical things you can do. And I think part of that, I mean, I look at Doug, I look at her dad and like your build is like, he is, she's stout, he's muscular, like your body is is made different. So hearing you, an Olympic gold medalist say, Actually, anybody that's listening to this, if you can get your dang mind right, you could have done that too. Now, if you're 35 years old, it's probably not in the cards for you if you're listening. (laughs) But there are other huge goals, I'm sure, that you can find. And that's pretty amazing. And that's, that's a really poignant point because so many people want to do things on a really small level or things on a really great level. And all they think to themselves, I think sometimes is, I can't do that. What? And as soon as you think I can't, that will become your that reality. so true. Like you're teaching me a lesson that I teach other people that, that I, I like still myself don't grasp. Oh, 100%. I still have a hard time with it. I, I still get caught up yeah. in the natural way of saying like, oh, I could never do that. And it's like, well, no, like go back to biology class, like study the human body. Yeah. Yes. Your body was made for it. Yeah. And you know, I think of like early parenthood because you're about to be in it in a matter of weeks. I'm about to be in it in a matter of weeks again. Lord help me. (laughs) And I think of those nights of pure exhaustion. And I'm thinking, you know what I need to be doing now? Because this is what I did with like, with I, I was like, I really wanted to breastfeed. And so I kept picturing myself as literally like this. I was a fountain of milk. <laughs> and 
I did that it and I said true. prayers about it. And I mean, I was a literal dairy cow, like from the day Ford was born, <laughs> two days after, whenever my milk came in. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to picture myself having all the energy in the world and parenting these kids with energy and like vigor. And I, I have to picture that because in those few weeks before, especially if it's like your second child, you remember it's so much easier for people to talk about the hard things, especially with parenting. And any good thing in life, I just talked about that on a podcast with my dad. He was talking about it in Climbing Mountains. He said, it's so easy for people to say, man, climbing on Mount Everest for three months, that sounds terrible. Sleeping on ice and 40 below zero. He said, I find it invigorating. He's like, don't let anyone define your misery and your pain. And also, don't let anyone define your happiness and your joy. You've got to experience it and feel it for yourself. And... That is what I'm going to do this week, actually. And I'll picture myself being a milk cow, too. Yeah, picture yourself being a milk cow. It really works. <laughs> <laughs> but just watch because sometimes it doesn't stop flowing until you get pregnant with another baby. So oh gosh. maybe picture yourself being able <laughs> to stop wow. it on your own when you want to. But this was a really amazing um, podcast, and I really appreciate Sean coming on I already know that everybody's gonna be like do another one with Sean I know she does like millions and millions of podcasts all the time because what valuable lessons and stories and everything that that you have like what a life you've lived and in my opinion you too well thanks it's sure been a road (laughs) if it wasn't it wouldn't be great hasn't it yep that's true and I'm really grateful that like you know, we've both had like such a good friend beside us, like in these times, I I just did a podcast on like, finding close friends in your adulthood and how important that is. Because yes, your husband is your friend and your family is your friend, but you really like need those close friendships. It's a totally different relationship. It really is. One that I'm really grateful for. And we didn't really talk about Dancing with the Stars and Celebrity Apprentice and all the other billion things that Sean has done. <laughs> I'll come back. But I'll that's back. for another podcast. So thank you guys so much. I'll put Sean's YouTube channel. She has the East Family YouTube channel now where she is documenting all things having a baby. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and her Instagram and everything, but I'm sure you all already follow her. So um, thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks to Sean for coming on. Thanks, pal. And we will see you next episode. I will see you next episode. I don't know that Sean's going to have time to come <laughs> on the very next episode, but she will come on soon. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us on Living Fully with Mallory Irvin. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single minute of encouragement and inspiration to live your best life. Want more? Join us on MalloryIrvin.com so we can connect with you on Instagram and YouTube. Start living your life now. You've only got one. We'll see you next time.